0: as I said, my name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you're here. And um, I'm excited to be here. We're going to finish a series today. Um, and uh, we've been in this series uh, about the appointed times of God, the, the, the various times in the Bible where God says, I, w- I want you to set aside this day for me. And, and we're going to talk about that today. And we're going to see the last feast that foreshadows our future. But, but I was thinking this week, you know, I love, you know, the show Survivor Man. Have y'all seen that show Survivor Man? I'm the only one that ever watches it, is that right? <laughs> they take this guy or some person, they drop him off in the middle of nowhere, it could be a desert, it could be a jungle, it could be an ocean, could be an island, and they have to survive, and their skills are absolutely amazing to me, I mean, they tell you I got a toothpick, a bottle cap, and a whatever, and somehow they figure out how to survive, and every show is the same, just like every sermon I preach is the same. It's, uh, it's, Get over yourself, surrender, be transformed more. That's basically the sermon. <laughs> but the, first, they have, they have to have three things that they're going to survive. Um, and it doesn't matter where they are in the world, doesn't matter what they're going to do, they have to have some form of water, they've got to have some lighter heat, and they've got to have some kind of shelter. It's real simple when you think about it. When you come to survival, every show is the same, water, light, shelter, water, light, shelter. Without those three things, they're probably not going to survive. Now, similarly, Jesus came on a mission to earth, too. Although he came not so he would survive, he came so we would survive. And guess what? He said, I came to make sure you know where to find spiritual water and spiritual light and spiritual shelter. You see, because what you need is not physical. What you need is spiritual. And these three things play a key role in our last feast that we're going to talk about today. The final feast is all about making sure that until Jesus returns again, we know where to find spiritual water. We know where to find the light of God, and we know where to find our shelter. Foreshadows a day when we'll all never have to search for those things again. Appointed times, across the ages, God has sought after his people of Israel. He wanted to bless them, and through them, bless others and the rest of the world. That redemptive plan was outlined in seven different feasts in the book of Leviticus. The word feast means appointed time. In a sense, these times represent days when God says, I want you to focus on me for a purpose. Seven feasts, four in the spring, three are in the fall, they all tie to the harvest. And all seven of them, if you look at them, they prophetically speak, they foreshadow their address rehearsal for the story of the Messiah. Spring feasts were all accomplished during the first mission of Jesus to earth. The last fall feast will be accomplished when he returns a second time. Each feast is a celebrated rehearsal. Now we've seen in the four spring feasts, those appointed days, the the crucifixion on Passover, Jesus, the Lamb of God, being sacrificed for the people of God. His burial in unleavened bread, taking, taking apart the Afakomen, the the bread of God, the bread of life, and setting it away for a while, sinless and perfect, without any leaven. And then on the day of first fruits, he resurrects. He overcomes death, and he becomes the first fruit of the human resurrection. And then 50 days later at Pentecost, The Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls on the people. And then there's a time when none of the feasts are fulfilled, a time when prophetically we're living in right now. The fall feasts will all be fulfilled when Jesus comes back next time. The Day of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and today we're going to talk about the Feast of Tabernacles. Now the Feast of Trumpets is a foreshadowing. It's a foreshadowing of the trumpet blowing and the church being raptured and and Jesus making his statement. The Day of Atonement we talked about was the Day of Judgment. Remember the day when no one really knew when it was coming. And it was a time when you would evaluate yourself for ten days so that on the highest holy day, the Day of Atonement, the priest would go in and try to make atonement for the sins of the Jewish people. And then the return of Jesus as Messiah, today we're going to study the last appointed feast, the seventh feast. It's called the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. It's also called Sukkah. This feast is a major blowout, tailgating party. That's what this feast is. And people come from all over it, and they blow it out for days. They're all in the parking lot, essentially, of the temple. didn't really have one, but, but they're all there. Everybody has to be there. It is a major party. A serious, solemn day of surrendering to God, confessing your sins, that's all gone. This is a celebration that God has forgiven your sins. Your name is in the book of life. You're going to be with Jesus. Well, they thought you were going to be with the Messiah forever. Your name is in the book of life. By the time this feast occurs, all the harvesting is done. The work is completed. It's time to come together as a group of people and rest and celebrate what God has done throughout the year. It's also called the Feast of the In Gathering because everyone comes to this feast. Sukkah falls on the 15th day of the seventh month, just like the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it's a seven day feast. The first and eighth days are considered Sabbaths, whether they fall on a Sabbath or not. High holy days. This is the third and final pilgrimage feast to Jerusalem. Remember how we talked about how Passover and Pentecost, they all had to come to Jerusalem. It was required that every male present himself to the temple in Jerusalem. And then this one is the last feast. It's the last pilgrimage feast. So the Jewish people would typically go to the the Passover feast, the unleavened bread, the first fruits. That was all one week. And then they'd turn around and go home. And 50 days later, they'd come back for Pentecost. Then they'd come back and go home, and they'd stay there all summer until the fall, until finally this feast came, and they all came back to Jerusalem to celebrate this last feast. Now, the theme of the feast is pure joy. That's the theme. Celebration of being in the presence of God, joy that had been provided for their ancestors in the wilderness, joy that God once again provided their harvest. It was during this feast that Solomon dedicated the temple. Ancient celebration. It was also during this feast that once the temple was built, the Shekinah of God, the glory of God fell on the temple and the Holy of Holies. So this is a time when it's, it's, it's a foreshadowing of God showing himself in his full glory. We're gonna see that play out in several stories today. Feast of Tabernacles, it's about a booth really, we call them tents. Um, they're a booth and they uh, was supposed to be an annual reminder of the time when they wandered through the wilderness for 40 years. And so everybody not only came to the temple during this feast, but they had to erect an outdoor tent to live in for seven days, eight days. So it's like, imagine this big, like, uh, KOA mixed with a a really big KOA, maybe one of those Winnebago parties they have every year somewhere. And you mix it with, uh, let's say, a huge tailgating party, and then you add to that just absolute joy, you're beginning to understand what this is about. Woodstock, yes. Only this is planned and actually less drugs, I think. Okay, I think that's the key. All right, so let's take a look at this feast in Leviticus. Uh, We're going to be in Leviticus 23, verse 33. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, and for seven days, is the Feast of Booths to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You will do no ordinary work. For seven days you will present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you'll hold another holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall do no ordinary work. Fantastic. It's like our Labor Day, but it lasts eight days. On the 15th day of the seventh month, when you've gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord for seven days. On the first day of solemn rest, eighth day of solemn rest, you shall take on the first day the fruit of the splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of leafy trees and willows on the brook, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. So they will take palm leaves. They will wave them to God. It's part of their ceremony. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in a year. It is a statute forever throughout all generations, and you shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths. That your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God, okay? Booth or tabernacle, it, it really means a, a, a time to remember. There were three observances they had to follow. One, they had to live in a booth. Second, rejoice before the Lord with branches. Third, daily sacrifices and offerings. The feast is associated with rain. Water, it makes the beginning of the rainy season. Okay? If they were going to have a harvest, In the spring, it had to rain at the end of the year. Jerusalem receives as much rain as London. They just get it all in four months. Okay, so they have a very significant rainy season. And these rains are necessary if they're going to get the next crop. So so this feast has always been associated with praying for rain or praying that God would provide water. It's part of the feast. It's a huge camp out, thousands of huts, all within a Sabbath's walk to the temple. Thousands of campfires. It's a joyous week, laughter, singing, dancing. The Feast of Tabernacles was all about water and light. The anticipation of water, God's provision, became a key component of the celebration. Water always symbolized to the Jews and throughout Scripture the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of God. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit in relation to salvation is a key theme throughout the prophets. Isaiah, for I will pour water out on thirsty lands and streams on dry ground. I will pour my spirit out on your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. Zechariah, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Water. Water. Every day of the feast, there was this process called the sacrificial pouring of water. It was offered to the Lord as a visual prayer for rain and for the salvation that would come from the Messiah. The high priest would lead a, profession of, or a procession of dancers and musicians and worshipers. They would go through the street and they would go down to the pool of Siloam. And in that pool of Siloam, the high priest would carry a golden pitcher and held about a quart of water, and he would collect water from the pool of Siloam. And then they would all come back in procession to the temple mount, singing songs, dancing, joyous. At the same time, another procession headed south out of the temple, and they collected in great abundance the willows of the brook that was there. They brought the willows to the temple and they placed them on the side of the altar, creating a canopy of drooping kind of willow branches over the altar. The high priest would lift his hands, holding the golden pitcher of water, and as he pours out the water on the willow he, that covers a stone offer, the people would wave their palm branches towards the altar and begin singing and crying out. And they always sang and cried out messianic psalms. The pouring of water on the willow branches was symbolizing that one day God's presence, God's spirit would come back to earth and bring them salvation through the Messiah. And so they would sing uh, Psalm 118. Save us, we pray, O Lord, O Lord, we pray, give us success. It's a messianic psalm. It says, save us, deliver us now. With palm leaves, they shouted as Jesus entered the temple. Remember, we talked about that. On Palm Sunday, on the day when it was foretold that the Messiah would present himself as the Lamb of God, the crowds lined the streets looking for the Messiah, and here comes Jesus. And they were crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us now. The imagery that they were using was of this feast of tabernacles. When the Messiah came, the tabernacle feast would be, would be fulfilled. They shouted Psalm 118, Hosanna, save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This temple pouring ceremony dates back to at least Isaiah. Clearly customary for Jesus years before his time. It came from the tradition of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the ones that started it. Part of the sacred sacrifice at the temple is we're going to pour water onto willow branches. The Sadducees didn't follow that tradition. They didn't like the pouring of the water ceremony. It was a big problem in the temple. They missed out on all the fun. The reason is they are sad, you see. (laughs) Never gets old. It was really understood to be something deeper than just rain for the harvest. The pouring of water had actually been foretold by the prophets. Ezekiel 39, 29, I will not hide my my face any more from them when I pour out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Lord. You see, the Jews knew that when Messiah came, God would pour out his spirit on the people. The book of Amos tells us that, that old men will dream, dream, all these things will happen as they pour out his spirit on the people. The water-pouring ceremony symbolized that one day for them, the Messiah would come and he would pour water out on the people. There would be a day in the future when they believed that would be fulfilled. We look forward and we know that it's been fulfilled and we see it again promised in Revelation. Revelation 7-9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes, people, languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands. Who's he talking about? Us. Get ready. One day you're going to be in a robe with palm branches in your hand and you'll be part of a great multitude from every nation, every culture, every person. All the believers from all time will be standing there with you. This is not a fantasy. This is a day on your calendar. Crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You see, in addition to water, this feast is also about light. Specifically candle light. With that many people there at night, they needed to have some light, right? They're all camping out. In the outer court of the temple, an area called the court of women. This is the very court where the widow, remember, made her tithe at the temple. And Jesus said she's given more than all. It happened in the court of women. Now the court of women was a place where everyone could come and bring their gifts. On the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, four towering menorahs were erected in the court. And they would be, sorry for the quality of the picture, but this is the only one I could find, where they, they literally would keep these, these uh, candles lit for the entire eight days. And they, had, they usually took the young priest, they put them on a ladder, they hoped they didn't fall off, They had to carry oil up there, keep them burning for the entire time. And so light was a huge thing as part of the ceremony during this week. They towered 75 feet up in the air. The feast occurred in the middle of the month. The moon at that point would have been almost full, so they had a little bit of light at night. All night long, elders performed impressive torch dances. Don't expect that to happen here. (laughs) I talked to Ed about it. He said no. <laughs> These dances occurred every night and became a prelude to the water ceremonies every morning. Light was a reminder of God's revelation, God's guidance, God's scriptures, God's truth. Psalm 18:28. For it is you who light my lamp; the Lord my God lightens my darkness. Psalm 27:1. The Lord is my light and salvation; whom shall I fear? Micah 7, 8, when I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. Isaiah 2, 5, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Isaiah 60, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The light was felt to represent the Shekinah glory of God the essence of God. It was a reminder that one day Messiah would come and when he came, he would provide light not only for the temple, but for the world. We know that will be fulfilled through the book of Revelation, chapter 21. And I saw no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the Lamb. See, we're seeing a foreshadowing. Now, one of the things that's interesting is you've been reading in the Bible about this feast for years. You just didn't know it, most likely. John 7 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples may also see the works you're doing. For no, one knows works in, for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. So his brothers are saying, look, if you're who you say you are, go to the festival of booths, say who you say you are, prove that you're the Messiah, or shut up. We're tired of hearing it. His brothers didn't believe in him. We know that from the next verse. For not even his brothers believed in him. Who is that? That's James. Those are people that we're familiar with. At this time, they were kind of giving him a hard time. Either go to the temple and present yourself at this feast, or be quiet. Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. In other words, my time has not yet come. I'm not to reveal myself yet fully. But your time to go to the feast and find the Messiah has already come. It's here all the time. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Jesus says, look, you go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast for my time has not yet fully come. Notice the word fully. Usually that implies in... Greek that it's almost there. It's not fully come as opposed to not come. Not come means it could be way in the distance. Not fully come is I'm waiting for like something to happen. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. Now this is huge. This is the Feast of Booths. This is a pilgrimage feast. You have to go. Every Jewish man is commanded to present himself during the feast to the temple. They have to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. It's commanded by God. Jesus is not just saying, hey, I've decided not to go this year. I'm going to skip the party. He's saying, I'm about to sin. I'm not going. John seven ten. But after his brothers had gone to the feast, then he went up. The time has come. But publicly, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast, saying, where is he? You see, one of the ways they would find the people they're looking for that they're trying to arrest or whatever, they wait for one of the pilgrimage fees. You have to show up. They're looking for him. And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he's a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Everywhere Jesus goes, you get those two responses. He's either a great God or he's leading everyone astray. There's really no middle ground. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly about him. Think about that. You couldn't even say his name. John 7, 14. About the middle of the feast. When is that? What do we know about the feast? Eight days, right? Okay, he missed the first few days. Jesus went up to the temple and began teaching. But after this, where did that go? Yeah, okay. He went up to the temple. But then John tells us, on the last day of the great feast, the great day, remember the last day is a Sabbath day. It's the last day. Everybody's getting ready to go home. It's like the last day of camp or whatever. It's the big moment, the big reveal, the big thing. It's called the great day. The last day of the feast before the final Sabbath. The last day was the most important day of the feast. On this day, the water would be poured out for the last time. In the evening, huge candlesticks would be extinguished, bringing darkness over the courts, a reminder to the Jews of what happens if they miss the Messiah. It was on this day that Jesus began to teach them and us about what this feast is really all about. That moment on the seventh day, it's the most important moment. The people are waving palm branches. They're shouting, Hosanna, save us, save us. And the high priest has gone to the Pool of Siloam. They've all gone down there, but they all come back. He's there at the altar. This is the big moment. He's going to pour the water out for the final time. Most sacred moment of the feast. They've all been waiting for this all week long. Everybody watch the high priest as he's pouring out the water, symbolizing the Spirit of God, hoping that one day Messiah would come and fulfill this appointed feast and save them by pouring his Spirit out upon them. It's the most joyous moment of the most joyous feast of the entire year. No, Everybody talks about it. I can't wait till he pours out the water. And in that moment, that sacred holy moment, the seventh day of the feast, people are crying out to God, please give us water. We need water to sustain life. We need water for the harvest. God, please provide water. They're all waving palm branches. They're shouting. They're singing, Hosanna, save us, save us now. Jesus interrupts them in a loud voice. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts. Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Picture this. Jesus is there with them. It's the high moment for the high priest. It's like his his biggest moment, and Jesus completely interrupts him. You want real water? Come to me. Stop looking at pouring water out on an altar. I'm right here. It says he screamed it. He called it out. Jesus was telling him, look, you don't have to wait. You can be saved right now. Messiah is here. I will give you living waters of the Holy Spirit. It's just like Jesus had told the woman at the well, remember? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saving to you, give me drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well's deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of the water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give will become in him like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In other words, Jesus is telling the crowd, I'm the answer to your prayers. I am the Messiah. I am God. I can save you right now. You will never thirst for salvation again. Now the high priest at this point is furious. He's indignant. He has now been threatened. Somebody has interrupted his holy ceremony. No one interrupts the sacred temple ceremony. Who gives him authority to declare himself as Messiah in the Feast of Booths right now? Then John makes the understatement of the Bible. So there was division among the people over him. Yeah, you think? But Jesus wasn't done. Tens of thousands of pilgrims had flooded the outer courts many carried lighted torches to light up their way in the country in the courtyard of women the 75-foot tower lights were shining brightly they'd been going for seven straight days The priest had been speaking for seven days about how one day messiah would come and he'd bring spiritual light into darkness but then to close the ceremonies to end the party and to prepare for the sabbath You know what if you put your phone on silence which it is that uh, talk to your phone thing still works all right. all right glad she's repeating it maybe she'll believe it yeah anyway the light of these huge candles is about to be extinguished and there's a moment when everybody realizes as those lights go out that Messiah is not here yet there go the lights we're back in darkness. It's a great feast, but he's not here yet. And they actually walk away in darkness to remind them that Messiah is not yet here. In that moment, Jesus once again pierces the darkness with words of truth. John is careful to give us the location. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. The treasury is in the court of women, the place of lights. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is saying to them, look, I am the personal light of God. I'm the perpetual light of God. I'm the perfect light of God. I'm the pure light of God. I'm the powerful light of God. And I am the light of the world. I'm the Messiah. You came here looking for water and light. Here it is. Come. On this feast years ago, the Shekinah glory of God fell in the temple. And today Jesus is saying, I am that glory. Jesus used this powerful moment in the Feast of Tabernacles to offer himself as living water and the light of their salvation. He clearly claimed to be the Messiah, the fulfillment of the dreams of all the prophets. But Jesus also uses this feast to teach us as well. The booth is a temporary dwelling place. The Jews were instructed to leave their homes and live in them for seven days. It was supposed to remind them that everything they own, everything they've built is temporary. The booth reminded them that we're all going to make temporary dwellings in the darkness, but under God's protection and covering. Most of all, it reminds us of a future day that Isaiah talked about. In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the land shall be the pride and honor of the survivors of Israel. And he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy, everyone recorded for life in Jerusalem. Then the Lord will create over the whole side of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a canopy. There will be a booth for shade by day from the heat, and a refuge and shelter from storm and rain. In that day, when Jesus reigns, he will be a booth of shade in our heat. He will be the refuge from the storm. Isaiah is talking about the millennial kingdom to come. The last feast foreshadows a time when the, called the future millennial kingdom. We'll get into that in the next series when we go into Revelation again. It's the time that the Jewish nation has returned to Jesus, a time of ingathering, bringing everybody together, a time when the harvest is over, the celebration is full force. The Feast of Tabernacles is a party. Prince had a favorite song, I think, but he missed the point. I was dreaming when I wrote this, forgive me if it goes astray, but when I woke up this morning could have sworn it was judgment day. The sky is all purple, there were people running everywhere trying to run from the destruction, you know I didn't even care. Because they say 2000, party over, oops, out of time. So tonight I'm gonna party like it's 1999. Prince didn't realize it at the time, but the party begins at the end of time, it doesn't end at the end of time. The millennial kingdom, a thousand year party, a thousand year reign of Jesus on earth, Joy everywhere, the curse of sin almost completely lifted. Satan will be bound, the earth and all its inhabitants will live with Jesus in the spirit, free of demonic issues. Revelation 21. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. There's the millennial and threw him into a pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. We'll get into all that. The prophet Zechariah said, not only are you going to celebrate this feast now, you're going to celebrate it in the future forever. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Booths. God said, we'll do this for all generations, and we will. Now, Peter, you know, is my favorite disciple. I bust on him a lot, because he's very impulsive. Peter speaks before he thinks. It's beautiful. It reminds me of me. If there's silence, Peter's going to fill it, even if he has to fill it with stupidity. That's kind of where Peter is. It's kind of like whack-a-mole, he pops up, he gets whacked down. I feel sorry for him though, because he's trying his best. There's a situation recorded in scripture where Peter totally gets what's happening. He like totally gets what's happening. He answers without even being asked, but he's wrong. See, now I feel bad for Peter because Jesus said, you're gonna deny me three times. The guards show up, he cuts the guy's ear off, and Jesus says, don't do that. And Peter's like, wait a minute, I said I wasn't gonna deny you, right? He tried, he was doing good. But one thing Peter knew for sure was that the Feast of Booth promised in the future that one day Messiah's kingdom would come. And when Messiah's kingdom came, we'd celebrate the Feast of Booth. Jesus would reign on earth, the kingdom would come, and they'd finally get to celebrate the Feast of Booth. Now you gotta understand, Peter and them expected Jesus to fulfill this prophecy any hour. He's here. He's Messiah. We know he's Messiah. He does things only God can do. He's going to fulfill this feast like today, maybe tomorrow, maybe the next day. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here, who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Peter's expecting God, Jesus, to reveal himself. Some standing here will see the Son of Man in his kingdom. Peter Peter, Peter heard that. He understands it. The coming kingdom means atonement's over. The Feast of Booth has arrived. Look at the next verse. Then after six days, Jesus took him with Peter and James and John his brother. And led him up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before him, and his face shone like sun, and his clothes became bright as light. And behold, there appeared to him Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now Peter's standing there, he's watching this. God is in his glory, the light of the tabernacles is in him. He's, he's lit up in his glorious, he's, the light is here. They also knew that before Messiah came, Elijah would show up. Guess what? Elijah's here. Moses, the deliverer, is here, and he's delivering this moment. So Peter's thinking, this thing is done. We are here. It's all about to happen right here, right now. Jesus lights up. His face is like the sun. Peter can't even look at him. His clothes are white as light. Imagine that moment for Peter. And Peter said to Jesus, "Don't miss this. Lord, it's good that we're here. I'm scared to death, but it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here." Where did that come from? He thinks this is the fulfillment of the feast of booths. I'll make your booth for you. See, Peter's getting it. We've celebrated over and over at the tabernacle at the temple. I'll make the booths for you. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. Peter knew one thing for certain, that in the kingdom we'd be celebrating the Feast of Booths. He wanted to show Jesus that he understands what's happening. He's right on the money, almost. What he didn't know was that he was just getting a glimpse of what was to be our future. It wasn't the arrival of the kingdom itself. It was just a brief revelation. Peter was ready. Sukkah became a symbol with the king reigning in his kingdom. And Peter's ready to build the, the booth. So Peter, representing his feast, the feast that they all longed for, offered to build tabernacles. Right idea, not yet the right time. Jesus taught that in order to survive spiritually until his return, we would need to make sure that we are firmly established as the light of our souls in darkness of our sins, that he's established to make sure that we are rivers of living water of the Holy Spirit, and we had to know that we're sheltered with him and under his wings. When he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, he also gave us the Holy Spirit. But he wanted us to understand, you have what you need to survive while I'm gone. Spiritually, you've got light, you've got water, and you've got shelter. That last feast points us to a future day. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain, the former things have passed away. And he who was seated at the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new, all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. Note this, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. On that day, Jesus, I guarantee you we're all gonna be dancing, even Ed. We won't be able to contain our joy, the experience of his love fully. No more tears, no more death, no mourning, no dying, no pain, just pure, unfiltered, unabashed love and joy. The Feast of Tabernacles is a foreshadowing of that day when we're basked in his light, we're quenched in his spirit, and we are with him and each other forever in a safe place. And we started this series saying, what in the world is going on? What if we already knew the answer? What if we didn't have to speculate? What if God gave us clues and signs and prophecies to show us what's to come? The Seven feasts of the Lord. Passover, Jesus crucified. Unleavened bread, Jesus buried. Feast of first fruits, Jesus resurrects. Pentecost, Jesus gives the gift of the Holy Spirit. Trumpets, Jesus raptures his church. Atonement, Jesus' second coming for the Jewish people. Tabernacles, the party for everybody. God wanted to make sure that his people knew what in the world was going on. That's what this series has been about. Our future is full of appointed times, three of them. God's given us clues, he's given us dress rehearsals. These events are going to come, they're on our calendar. Special days, appointed times. We end this series with the prayer that ends in the Bible. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen, Lord Jesus, come soon. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we don't have to be in the darkness. Spiritually, or even intellectually about what our future holds. You made it really clear. There's a day, a day in the future. We may be here or we may already be home with you. But there's an appointed time for all three of these feasts to occur. The rapture, day of atonement and return of, Jesus, of the Jews to Jesus and a big party at the end. So God, I thank you that you've already told us our future. Thank you that you've told us what we need to survive. Lord, help us hold on to your light. Help us make sure that we're full of living water flowing through us and help us stay sheltered in your truth and under your wing. We look forward to the day when we're all together. Thank you for that promise, and we hold it today, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.